my name is David. Uh, uh, what I'm going to do is for a few minutes, we're going to look at one of the biggest and most controversial issues in today's society and culture from a biblical perspective. And then uh, what I hope that you'll be able to do is I hope that you'll ask questions. If not, you can all go home early. Um, but I, I don't want to talk for too long. But if you have a Bible, let's turn to Psalm 8. And to read from verse 3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? What is humanity? What is man is a title of an essay that was written by Martin Luther King, published in 1959, in which he argues that humanity is more than an animal and less than God. Now, one of the things that's happening in our culture is this, that as we cease to believe in God, it's not just that we lose the sense of the divine, but we also lose the sense of who uh, God is, and, and sorry, the sense of, of what a human being is. And there's a great deal of confusion about that. There's a, I'm a Scottish Presbyterianism. We, we learn the shorter catechism. And question 10 says, how did God create man? God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. Now, what this involves is gender. We are created male and female. Our, our identity, our identity is found in God. Marriage, we are created for one another. And society, we serve God and we serve one another by following the maker's instructions. But as you know, from Genesis 3, there was the fall. And that, first of all, disturbed our most basic relationships. It also affects the environment, as we saw this morning, society and our relationship with one another and with God. The basic difference is, before the fall, we live to do the will of God. After the fall, we think that we are autonomous, that we are in charge of our own lives that we can be as God, that we can do it our way. I don't know what it's like in Australia, but still in the UK, the number one song that's played at crematoriums is Frank Sinatra's, I did it my way. We determine what's right and what's wrong. But that autonomy is the root of all our troubles in so many ways, because sin is rebellion against God and an assertion of our own sovereignty and authority. Now, that's background to saying, how does all this work out? By the way, if anyone ever asks you, what do you think about homosexuality? You can't really answer that because they could be asking, um, why are you such a homophobic bigot? Or they could be asking, my brother committed suicide when he was 14 because he was gay and he was bullied at school. Those are two very, very different questions. But I just want to get the major back, the, the, the background to this correct. Sexuality. In, in 2015, Smirnoff, which none of you will know because it's vodka, um, they uh, had an advert, heterosexual, sexual, who gives a sexuality? Now, here's the important thing. Sexuality as identity is a relatively new idea stemming from the late 19th century and especially from the work of Freud. So I'd go often, I'd often go and do debates and discussions. And sometimes people would come up and they, you know, a guy would come up to me and say, hi, my name is John. I'm gay. And I'd go, hi, 
my name is David and I'm not. So I guess we're never going to get it on. And you just look at me and go, what? And I'd say, why did you say that? Why do you need to tell me that? Why do I need to identify yourself by your sexuality? Why is that so important? It's a very strange thing to identify yourself by. And I think that's, that's a, a, a key issue in what's involved here, because a lot of this is about identity. So some people will say, for example, that I can't help things. I'm born this way. Now, that's a very questionable thing anyway. But the idea of a fixed sexuality with which we are born is now being challenged by those who once argued it was the very basis for accepting gay rights. We are now coming to a position where more and more people say you choose your own sexuality. That's why in the United Kingdom, for example, today, although only around 1% of young people will claim to be homosexual, 2% will claim to be bisexual. There is a great deal of confusion over this issue. I spoke at a school not so long ago, and I asked the young people there, how many people in society do you think are uh, homosexual? And the estimates varied from 10% to 30%. The reality is 1%. Recent studies have demonstrated that the understanding of sexual orientation as an innate, biologically fixed property of human beings is not supported by scientific evidence. In other words, there's no gay gene. While there is evidence that biological factors such as genes and hormones are associated with sexual behavior and attractions, there are no compelling causal biological explanations for human sexual orientation. In other words, we're back to the old argument of nature or nurture. And I have no doubt at all that there are some people who are born with a predisposition towards same-sex attraction. And I equally have no doubt that there are other people for whom it's their circumstances and what's happened to them, particularly in their youth, that drives them that way. There have been minor differences in the brain structures and brain activity between homosexual and heterosexual individuals, which have been identified by researchers. But the problem is that these, these do not demonstrate whether these are innate or are the result of environmental and physiological factors. And what's I think particularly important is that longitudinal studies of adolescence suggest that sexual orientation may be quite fluid over the life course for some people, with one study estimating that as many as 80% of male adolescents who report same-sex attractions no longer do so as adults. Now, I'm, there's a, an Australian activist, a gay activist called Peter Tatchell, who I know and who I've debated with and um, who I, in some sense, admire because I, I think he's a consistent man and I think, um, I think he's consistently wrong, generally, but um, I, I, I admire him for his courage in some ways. But he's very honest about things, and he says this, Overcoming homophobia will result in more people having gay sex, but fewer people claiming gay identity. The medieval Catholic Church, despite all its obscurantism and intolerance, got one thing right. Homosexuality is not, it suggested, the special sin of a unique class of people, but a temptation to which any mortal may succumb. And he then goes on in a lengthy quote, which I will not give you, to argue that sexuality is basically fluid. 
and that we can influence people in different ways. Thatcher's winning the argument. In a recent survey, more than half of young people in the United Kingdom, and I think the number is similar in Australia, said that they saw sexuality as fluid. Now, what has all this got to do with who we are as human beings and the issues that, that come in here? Well, um, there are many factors that are involved. And, you know, I was in a church where there were a number of people who were homosexual. They were, uh, I think the phrase, I think it's better expressed, same-sex attracted. So they found themselves, if, you were, if they were male, not sexually attracted to women, but sexually attracted towards men and female, the, the, the same thing. And it's interesting. Some said, well, I know what the Bible says, and so I'm going to live a celibate life. And others said, I know what the Bible says, but I don't agree with it. I'm not going to. And they didn't stay long in the church. Um, there were a few who thought, well, what I can do is, you know, I need to change this. I need to change this. And I guess that's what people would term as conversion therapy. But I've never been a, 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 a big fan of that for various reasons. And maybe you can ask questions about that later if you wish. But I do think there are, you know, when we come to what the Bible teaches. So let me just give you an example. I was speaking in a bookstore in Glasgow, in Scotland, obviously. And um, I was giving a talk on God and science. And after I finished the talk, the bookstore manager of the place was packed. The bookstore manager stood up and said, I want to ask a question. And I said, well, you're the manager, you know, you sure. And he said, yeah. He said, what do you think about homosexuality? And I said to him, why are you asking that? I said, I'm, I've just given you a talk on God and science. I've not mentioned homosexuality once. If I mention it, you accuse us of being obsessed with it. But why are you asking me that? I said, are you, are you basically... Um, you know, are you asking because you're saying, why are you such a homophobic bigot? And he said, yes. And I said, well, thank you for your honesty. I said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will answer your question on the condition that you answer mine. And then the second condition is once I've answered, we're done. Because it's not fair. That's not what we're meant to be discussing here tonight. And he said, okay, I'll answer your question. I said, is there any, any form of sexuality that you think that's wrong? I'll not repeat exactly what it said because it involved uh, a, a couple of profanities, but he said that you are a clever so-and-so questioning my parentage. And I, I said to him, why am I a clever so-and-so? And he said, because if I say no, you're gonna say, what about bestiality? What about pedophilia? And if I say yes, you're gonna say, how do you know? I said, exactly, that's exactly you're, I'm not the only clever so-and-so. I said, that's exactly what I, what I was going to say. But I said to him, so let me answer your question now, since you've answered mine. Here's, it's very simple. Um, I'm a Christian, and this may amaze you, but we believe in God. And I'm, a, I'm what I call an Ikea Christian. What do you mean by that? Well, basically, I'm not very practical. When I come home from Ikea buying furniture, I, I follow all the instructions. I mean, I lay out, I count the screws, I do everything. I just follow the maker's instructions. And I believe that God made us male and female, and I follow the maker's instructions. I believe that God gave us marriage as to be between a man and a woman. I believe he gave us sex 
as to be only within the context of marriage. And, you know, I, I believe that this has been the foundation of Western civilization for almost 2000 years. And I think that for you to accuse me of being homophobic just because I believe that is entirely wrong. And I also think that until you give me a viable alternative that actually works, then uh, I'm, I'm not going, basically, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to accept your point of view. And I do think that that's where we're going as a culture right now. People use language and they change language and they use memes and ideas. You know, love is love, for example. I once spoke at a school here in Sydney and I mentioned the phrase love is love. And I actually, this is a Christian school. I'll not say which one it was. And I actually said, um, what does that mean? That's utterly meaningless. Until you can define what love is, it's a meaningless phrase. And one of the teachers was really, really upset at that because she thought I was attacking um, the gay rights movement. I wasn't actually. I was using it as an illustration of saying, what do we mean when we say certain things? And I think that that's a, a key aspect of, of where we're at, that we need to think about what things mean. So for example, marriage, what is marriage? When same-sex marriage came in the United Kingdom, I debated various government ministers uh, or government officials rather. I don't think any of them were ministers, to be honest. And I remember writing to the prime minister, the then David Cameron, and his office replied, and they said, we believe that any two people who love one another should be able to marry. To marry. And of course, I wrote and said, well, that's a terrible definition of marriage, because you don't believe that. You don't believe that two brothers should be able to marry, for example, or a father and daughter should be able to marry. That's not what you believe. So what is marriage? And they actually said this to me. They said, we are redefining marriage for everybody. People ask me, what do I think of same-sex marriage? I say, well, it doesn't exist. It's not marriage. You can have partnerships. You can have civil partnerships. But marriage as defined by the Bible, it is absolutely not. Let me come on to another issue that's tied in with this, and that's the question of gender. Gender as identity makes a whole lot more sense. Those of you, I'm watching you just now, and some of you are female, and some of you are male, and that's um, very different. Um, what is more basic that uh, when a baby is born, when the crying comes for the, the midwife to say to the mother of the newborn, it's a boy or it's a girl. Now we live in this crazy world where we're told we're assigned a gender at birth. As though the hospital looks and says, well, we've had enough males. Let's make this one a female. No, that's not how this works. Most people today have been brought up in a world where we were just male and female, as Genesis points out. And let's not go down the route of intersex and so on, which is a very small anomaly within that. And exceptions do not make good rules. We can no more choose our identity in terms of gender than we do in terms of skin color or height. I once went into the British Museum, the Science Museum in London, and I did this test on gender. And I came out and I said to my wife, you're not gonna believe this, this is gonna really disappoint you. I've got a female brain. And she started laughing and she said, I knew that. And, <laughs> and uh, I mean, what's a female brain? I mean, what a daft concept. There's no logical or scientific evidence for that but we no more get to choose our gender than we do 
our skin color or height. If I said to you, by the way, I want you to understand that I identify as a five foot Chinese woman. I hope none of you would have the, the, the stupidity to say, well, if that's what you are, David, that's what you are. If that's what you feel, no, I'm not Napoleon either. I was once, uh, I was in hospital 10 years ago, um, severely ill, and they gave me a lot of drugs that made me um, quite psychotic to deal with the pain. And I thought I was the king of Norway. I genuinely believed I was the king of Norway. I wasn't the king of Norway. Whether I believe it or not, I'm not I wasn't the king of Norway. Now, all this is changing. Now we're being told that gender is much more than biological, and it really is dependent on how we feel. I had a girl come home from school, one of my elders' children, seven years old, and she started crying. Her mom said, sweetheart, what's wrong with you? And she said, mom, am I a boy or a girl? So you're a girl, of course. Well, the teacher says I can choose. That's child abuse. And that is a large part of what's going on in our schools. Now, let me tell you this. If I was in Victoria just now, I would be in a lot of trouble because if someone came to me and this has happened, I've had people I've had people who are transgender in my congregation from 30 years ago. I've been dealing with this for decades. And I remember people asking me to pray. And if I prayed that God would help them, I would be breaking the law in Victoria right now. That's how far this craziness has gone. The. Um, uh, American government, the Biden government, has just removed all phrases that refer to mothers because apparently men can get pregnant too. Now, sometimes I feel that I look as though I'm pregnant, but I know I can't get pregnant. I can't. But we've, we were so confused about this. Now, the practical effects of this are phenomenal. For a start, it kills all women's sports. I, I once joked about this and someone said, don't joke, David, go and have a look at the Iranian football, women's football team. And I did. And at that point, eight of them had beards. I said, you're kidding me. Why is that in Iran? And they said, yes, that's because at that point, Iran had the, was the number one country in the world for, for doing gender reassignment surgery. Why was that? Because to be gay in Iran meant you had faced the death penalty. But if you said, well, I think I'm really a woman, you could get surgery. It's quite remarkable. Now, there's so much stuff in this that, that I think, you know, we have so many things to go on. I think the gender confusion is also caused by the fact that we are now being told by Facebook and others that there are 56 genders or 101 genders. And no, there's not. There just isn't. It's a massively confusing thing. You'll get the whole thing of non-binary pronouns, for example, as well. And that, that's also a major issue. I remember uh, I got in the debate with a, uh, in my local city with the education convener who was a, um, he's, well, I was arguing with him about this and I called him him and he said, don't you call me him? I said, okay, I'll, if you want, I'll call you her. He said, don't you call me her? I said, okay, what do you want me to call me? He said, I, I can't remember if it was Z or Zay or they or, or something. Uh, apparently, there are uh, now 26 different kinds of pronouns that you can call people. So I said to him, all right, fair enough, I'll call you whatever you want, but you have to call me by my chosen pronoun. And he said, what's that? I said, well, I'm a Christian, so I identify as beloved in Christ. So every time you write to me, you have to put on Twitter, beloved in Christ. Occasionally, I'll let you off with beloved, you know, but that's, that's my pronoun. My pronoun is beloved. I, I never heard from him again. <laughs> Uh, it, it's, it's, which is not surprising. 
In New York, there are now 31 protected gender identities. And if you don't use them, you can be fined quarter of a million dollars. There's mass confusion. I think this affects our children. I think this affects our society. I think this affects our society in so many ways. Our society is becoming more intolerant. Now, um, there's much more that could be said about that. But let me just say something about where we're going with all of this. This won't stop here. One of the next issues will be transhumanism. Another issue will be polyamory, polygamy, and other things. What about transabled? What if somebody says, I feel as though I am blind. Can you please remove one of my eyes? You know, I've sadly had to deal in my ministry with a number of men and women uh, who have suffered from bulimia and anorexia. And it's a serious mental illness. Nobody ever said to a young woman who was fading away, who was skin and bones, who felt that she was too fat. No one ever said, well, you identify as fat, that's fine. We tried to help. I believe that transgender, that what's called gender dysphoria is a very real thing for some people. I think for other people, it's social contagion, it's YouTube and so on. But for some people, it's a very real thing. I've experienced it and I've seen it and they need absolute help. But why have we determined in our society that the way we help people is by mutilating their bodies right, rather than helping to deal with their minds? I also think, by the way, and in the, this I'm, uh, I think, uh, fairly unusual, that pedophilia is, is one of the issues that's coming around the bend. Um, and I have various reasons for thinking that. Uh, how do we deal with all of this? I want to say as Christians, we need to be really careful. We need to remember that all human beings are made in the image of God, however they self-identify. So I, you know, we always welcomed gay people into our church and transgender people because every single human being is in need of God. I mean, I, I do need to tell you one story about that. In the church in the Scottish Highlands, which is very traditional, where I was minister, there was a woman who came along who I became friendly with in many different ways in terms of just uh, I helped her politically with some stuff. She was a very lonely person, so we connected her with the church and all that kind of stuff. Um, and one day she asked to see me, and I went to see her, and she said, I've got to tell you something. You know how I'm involved in politics? I said, yes. She said, I'm going to be on the front page of the major, the best-selling newspaper in Scotland tomorrow. And I said, oh, what have you done? And she said, well, it's not that. They've had it on me for a while. I'm a local political candidate. Uh, she was a, a, an SNP candidate, uh, Scottish National Party, and the la this newspaper was Labour-supporting, and they'd ha had this story over it. And I said, what's your story? And she said, well, actually, I was born a man. I used to be propped forward for Stornoway Rugby Club. And I just kind of looked and she said, well, I go and get a cup of tea. And I said, yes, that's you go and get a cup of tea. And she came back. I never, nobody ever told me about this in theological college. And uh, it's funny when I went back to my wife and told her, she said, well, didn't you know? Of course, look at her hands, you know? And I, I remember talking to her and she said, will I still be welcome in church? I said, of course you're welcome in church. But I, I went to speak to my elders and said, guys, this is going to be a really big thing here. What do you think? And one of my elders, who was a lorry driver, said, what's the problem? I said, what do you mean, what's the problem? He said, well, she's a sinner the same as the rest of us. We all need Christ. He said, we can't deal with these issues. 
course we continue to welcome. And I, I really admired what he said. And I said, what happens when she's converted and becomes a Christian and all the rest of it? And he said, uh, just a very simple thing. He said, we'll, do, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, I think that's where we're at. I think we, we have a gospel to proclaim to people. We must be really careful not to get involved in this discussion in the terms of where our society is at. But we also must need to realize that what is happening here is ultimately demonic. And what I mean by that, it's the devil seeking to undo what God did at the beginning when he created humanity in his image, male and female. And by the way, what's happening just now is a disaster for women because women's sport is being destroyed, women's places are being removed, and even terms like mother are being taken away. I mean, I find myself in this crazy world where 20 years ago, I used to be attacked by feminists, and now I'm on the same side as the feminists. And that's how, how the world changes. It's a very, very confused world. But we have the gospel. We have the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to communicate. Be very careful about getting too involved in the culture wars. But you do need to understand what is going on. And above all, you do need to protect your children because they are being taught and will continue to be taught through media and through the education system something which is incredibly harmful to them. So I'm going to leave it there. Uh, I've raised a whole bunch of different issues. There's so much more that could be said. But if there are questions or comments, we'll take 10 minutes um, to do that if you wish. And please feel free to ask whatever question you like. Please don't do what one man did. I was speaking in a, I used to do a lot of speaking in hostile environments, and I don't consider you to be a hostile environment. But I um, once uh, was in a cafe and this man stood up and said, why are you such an idiot? Now, he wasn't really asking after my mental well-being. He was obviously accusing me, and I wasn't very nice, I must admit. I said to him, well, that's so that I can have an incarnational ministry with people like you. And when we're done, I'll tell you what incarnational means. But so um, let's feel free to ask any question that you like, and I'll be incredibly nice to you. These are really important and serious issues, and maybe some of you have particular concerns or questions you want to ask. If you don't, that's fine. So there we go. Hi, David. Uh, David Hi. here. Hi, David. Um, you're, you're well named. I am indeed, yes. I was the one organising lunch that you thankfully didn't have to yeah. organise for everybody. Yeah. Um, David, just uh, I did quite a bit of work in um, Christian schools, uh, working with them around... Um, risk management sort of it's quite a good entry into the schools and working with them and just really finding it um, quite a range of responses really within the schools on how to deal with all of this um, I, I guess the uh, whole gender identity matter mm -hmm. uh, sexual orientation gender ident identity uh, and and really seeing that it's um, in many ways, actually tearing apart schools and particularly yeah. their leadership and their um, yeah. boards and and uh, principals and and other other workers in that sort of environment. Just in terms of how to really deal with it and set a, I guess, a policy or a direction for the school on how to deal with these matters. Um, and and then the dynamics of some parents who are very dogmatic. You know, we wouldn't want this school to accept any of this and then other extreme parents with you know very open to the whole sexual identity uh, issue i'm just wondering if you can 
kind of pick up on that and see if there's any way you can sort of help Christian parents here or teachers or, or, or yeah. uh, schools about, you know, just how to really address that sort of issue, um, you know, that our kids are facing. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I've, I've had to deal with this. There's some schools, which I'll leave nameless, where I've been asked to come in and, uh, and help advise on various issues. And my view is we are tolerant of people and people who have different issues and concerns and so on. But it's what's taught in the school. And in general, I think a lot of Christian schools have not grasped this. They think that to be Christian is just to have a worship service or something. Whereas we really need to understand what the Bible actually teaches. So my view is that schools should be tolerant of people, but intolerant of ideologies which are opposed to Christianity. And what I would say particularly there is the teaching of queer theory. Now, that's not a derogatory term. That's how it describes itself. But the teaching of queer theory is that gender is fluid and sexuality is fluid. And we don't accept that. And no Christian school should teach that. Um, and I think that there, on the other hand, there are some Christians who seem to be very focused on this particular issue and very, you know, aggressive and narrow uh, uh, against groups. And I'm saying we mustn't hate groups and we mustn't, you know, attack people, but we must ensure that what is taught in our schools is a biblical worldview. That's the key, because if that is not taught, then what will happen is that Christians will just fold over. You know, I, I, I remember I went up to Katumba to the um, one of the conventions there, and I asked if I could speak to the young people. And what I found was very interesting. I asked them, I said, on the, there was just been, there had just been the same sex marriage debate here in, New, in Australia. And I asked them, how many of you, either if you could vote, some of them were uh, too young to vote, or it, you know, or if you would have voted, how many of you would have voted against same-sex marriage? How many for, how many don't know? And it amazed me that about 40%, I think, said they would vote against. About 30% said they didn't know, and the other 30% said they would have voted for. And when I asked them why, the ones who voted against didn't know why. They just knew that, you know, their church was against it or whatever. And the ones who voted for said, well, they just followed the, the the culture and I think what struck me at that point was that a lot of our young people are not being taught a biblical worldview and are swimming in a sea which is fundamentally anti-Christian and I'm sorry but half an hour at Sunday school on a Sunday is really not going to do that so to me you, the answer to your question is the school needs to look very very hard at what its ethos and ideology is and how it, is, it, it should be welcoming to all people, but not teaching ideologies which are completely opposed to the teaching of Jesus Christ. Sorry, that was a long answer. My, my, next, my next answer won't be so long if there is another question. Anyone else? Yeah, David, uh, I've actually got a question. Uh, mm -hmm. You mentioned that uh, one of the things that's occurring is the redefinition uh, of Christian terms. Yeah. Um, and I wonder in regards to evangelism, you know, the, the message that we have is a message of love and liberty um, in truth. And they're, they're terms that we use, but suddenly they've been shifted and changed uh, and our tools have in some ways been taken away. 
how do we evangelize in this new world? My view is we rebaptize these terms. I think my, my own theory is that the Apostle Paul took the Greek language and baptized it and used it, you know, and I think terms like equality and diversity and love and so on, I think we need to use those terms, but we give them content. So I'm working here with a Sydney diocese and I'm trying to develop a thing for churches that I call eat, pray, love. Uh, eat is hospitality. Everyone, every, there isn't a culture that doesn't like hospitality and food. Pray is we pray for people and we pray with people, but love is actually the teaching part because we need to teach people what love is. I think people use that term and it's basically meaningless. It's utterly meaningless. It's a feeling. It's a, and I think we have a tremendous opportunity to show that, you know, at Christmas, love came down at Christmas. So this is love at Easter. Not that we love God, but he loved us and gave his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. I think our culture, what it does is it takes words, changes them, makes them meaningless. So, for example, the word woman. Did any of you ever think that you would see a day where politicians couldn't say what a woman was? I've asked many politicians, what is a woman? And they've not been able to tell me, which I find deeply demeaning and degrading towards women. Um, and so I think that we need to take this issue head on but we need, to be, we need to explain to our young people as well what words mean. Often in churches, we use a whole bunch of cliches. And what do they actually mean? You know, so I, I think coming, I mean, we, we were asked a question this morning about truth. We need to show beauty rather than truth. I would say that actually truth is beautiful. And we need to show that um, what we've got makes sense. You know, it just makes sense and it works. And what our society is doing is ripping itself apart by destroying language. It's the Tower of Babel. We're in Babylon. This is the Tower of Babel. We are confused. We are messed up. Our culture is confused and messed up. My involvement with transgender teenagers was such that um, I came to be aware that you are 20 times more likely as a transgender teenager to attempt suicide than any other teenager. And that was after surgery as well. So what are we doing? Encouraging children on YouTube and elsewhere to identify with something that they, are, they, they really are not. So I think there are tremendous opportunities for evangelism, but it's very dangerous. And I say our evangelism does need to be Christ-focused, not culture wars-focused, but it also does need to teach the truth. And I think, for example, of somebody like Rosario Butterfield, who has a book called Tales of an Unlikely Convert. She was a professor in a uh, liberal arts university in the United States. I think it was Syracuse. She was a queer studies professor. She was a lesbian living with her lesbian lover. And she was converted and is now married to a Presbyterian minister. And her, her stuff is absolutely amazing. It's really balanced. It's really good. And I think that kind of thing is, by the way, I, I, partly she was converted through the love and hospitality of uh, the church. There's a great line in her book, which made me laugh. She said, uh, I got out of the bed of my lesbian lover and went to the Presbyterian church to sing psalms. She says, you never know who's sitting beside you in the pew. And I think that's a very good thing to do. I think if you've got a if you've got a wholesome biblical theology, it really helps you in loving other people and sharing Christ with them.
Anyone else before we go? Maybe we'll take one more, eh? if anyone wants to. I'm, first of all, I, I'm, I'm not convinced about the socially marginalized bit. Um, what I've found is that for a lot of people to claim that they are uh, uh, gay is, it's a badge of honor, not socially marginalized and transgender right now. It's, you know, it's, whoa, it's, it's to lift you up there. So I'm, I'm not sure about the socially marginalized. I, I tend to think that our society has become obsessed with sexuality, not with the poor. Or let's say in Australia, the indigenous people or, uh, you know, so many other things, people who are really socially marginalized. I don't think that middle class kids who identify themselves as a particular sexuality are particularly socially marginalized. And I think that's a way of people claiming victimhood when they don't have any. So I, I'm, I'm a little bit more skeptical than that. I wouldn't necessarily say that to anyone because people are people and you cannot lump people together in groups. So first of all, I would listen. I wouldn't directly question somebody in, in, in that regard. But what I would say is it is very foolish to make sexuality your primary identity. So I, someone comes up to me and says, you know, I'm gay. And I say, well, that's fine. What do you want me to say about that? I said, I want to talk to you as a human being, first of all, on what that means. And I, I think if you broaden the issues, that really helps. Um, I'm, I'm, in, I'm inclined not to get into specific arguments about, you know, when someone comes and says, I am this, and you question it. In our culture, that's the same as hitting them. And I'm not sure that that's a good thing to do. However, neither am I, I, I'm absolutely convinced it is not the right thing to do to affirm them in something that is wrong. So I always try and show people the broader picture. And, um, you know, I remember we had a, a couple of women who came to our church who were um, lesbians and they were together and they came to ask me about what the church thought about it. And I said, well, you kind of know, don't you? And they said, yeah, sort of. And I said, look, ladies, you are very, very welcome to come here because I want to teach you about Jesus. But when you come to know Christ, you'll find that things change. And, you know, I, I, I think that's, that, that's the way of it. I, I think people kind of emotionally bully you and say, you've got to accept me for what I am. And I'm saying, no, I'm accepting you as a human being made in the image of God. I'm accepting you as a friend. I'm accepting you as somebody I like. That doesn't mean to say that I have to agree with every aspect of your life or lifestyle. And, you know, see how that goes. It's a complex and difficult one in the culture in which we're in. And that's why I'm suggesting that our focus needs to be on who uh, Christ is. But we need to be very careful not to invent a Jesus in the image of our own culture. Because I find Jesus challenged people as well. You know, the woman at the well, for example, who was an adulteress, he didn't, he, he, he stopped her being stoned to death, but he didn't say to her, you're fine. He said, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. And I feel that that's the same for what we've got to do. So um, there's a lot more to that. I mean, I really wish I was with you because this is the kind of thing that we could discuss all night. And I... I've struggled with this in so many ways at one level. And the only thing that has really helped me is to see what, if you understand what scripture says about Jesus and you understand what scripture says about humanity, it helps you love all human beings as fallen creatures, but as creatures who need to be raised and restored. And 
none of us are in a position where we can go to anybody and say, no, uh, you're a lot worse than me. Uh, Paul, at the end of his life, said I was the chief of sinners. And I think that we need to have that humility, but at the same time, the courage to challenge the prevailing cultural narrative. We cannot be swept along with the prevailing cultural narrative, but neither can we fight it on its own terms. We need to fight it with the love of Christ and with something that overwhelms all the prejudices that people have. So, sorry, I, each of those answers, by the way, I, you, you notice how I lied. I said each answer would be shorter than the one before, and each answer was longer. So I repent in sackcloth and ashes. You know, David, um, yeah. Ray here. Uh, you talked about, uh, you mentioned a hesitancy about conversion therapy. Um, yeah. I'd like to hear a bit more on, but also just in answering this question about us accepting others as human beings first. What about when someone comes to myself or one of us here and they're struggling to accept themselves? They've had a Christian upbringing, for example, or maybe not, but they're battling with same-sex attraction or gender uh, fluidity uh, themselves, but wrestling with that, but can't accept it. And they're at that point of despair with that, that, those great percentages of people who are taking their own life. What I mean by conversion therapy, you see, when the word conversion therapy is used, you have to be really, really careful. I've just written an article on this because... Um, People use that and they equate something like kidnapping someone trying to change their sexuality with praying for someone, which is utterly ridiculous. But that's what. So my view is that our primary concern is not to change someone's feelings in terms of, you know, the attractions that they feel or anything. But our primary concern is to get people to live Christian lives if they are Christians. So as a man, I might find myself, I'd say I'm attracted towards women. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I can't go and sleep with any woman that I want. That's wrong. And Jesus even puts a higher standard than that. He says, you don't look with lust upon anyone else. So I'm very wary of this idea that you can give someone therapy, which changes the way that they feel. However, I also believe that the Holy Spirit can change people and does change people. And that over time, there are considerable changes that occur. So I think when someone comes, I mean, and this has happened and says, look, I'm struggling with who I think I am. I want to say, well, you know, first of all, you need to find your identity in something else. If you're a Christian, you find your identity in Christ. And then things change. I mean, it may be, I'm, I might say, I, I struggle with a really bad temper. I'm a very bad tempered person. That's who I am. Should I indulge that? It may be that genetically I'm inclined towards alcoholism. Should I indulge that? No, I shouldn't. It may be that, you know, I'm a male who has a very high sex drive. Should I indulge that? No, I shouldn't do that. And it's the same with I've several friends who are Christians who are what they would describe themselves as same sex attracted. And they just simply say, no, um, we're not going to do that. We're not going to live like that. So, you know, I think it's a complex issue, but it, the, the question is not whether you can change how you feel in terms of sexual attraction. The question is, there's this battle in, in terms of Romans 8, as we've been looking at, between the flesh and the spirit. Are you going to live according to the flesh? Are you going to live according to the spirit? Are you going to live according to what Christ wants? And for me, that's where we've got to go. Well, folks, I'm conscious that we are well over our time. So uh, I want to thank you for your patience and I look forward to seeing you tomorrow and uh, 
you know, as I say, if you've got any further questions about this, please feel free to, you could email me, uh, theweefly at gmail.com. Um, and I'm quite happy to engage in any discussion. And I know that many of us will have struggles in different areas as regards this. This is a very deep and complex issue. Um, but uh, maybe I'll mention uh, Sam Aldrey's is, is God Anti-Gay. I think that's a, a very good book. And there are many other books that I could recommend on the transgender issue um, uh, as well, which I think would be helpful. But, um, you know, let's continue to pray about this and let's be thankful that the Lord came to restore a broken humanity. So I think we'll leave it there and we'll see you tomorrow.